Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hi, Brett. Hi, Jeff. Are we on? Are we recording? Is this on? Is this thing on? So Brett just got back from uh, Whistler, huh? You knew it. Yeah, he's already shaking his head. I just want you to tell the audience what you did in Whistler, please. <laughs> I participated in an endurance event called 29029. You can look it up online. It's a very cool event. You basically have to hike the elevation of Mount Everest within 36 hours. So at Whistler, the trail is 3.9 miles long from the bottom to the top to ski a ski resort. So you hike up the ski mountain, 3.9 miles, 3,900 feet of elevation. So I had to do it eight times in 36 hours. So you, you hike up and then you take the gondola down. Take the down, gondola down. You, 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 know, you can take your time. You can get food, change, whatever, and keep going, whatever. And so, how many hours did you do it? So the first day, Friday, we did start at 6 a.m. with I stopped for uh, some lunch and dinner in there, like quick meals. Finished at 11 p.m. on Friday, got a few hours of sleep, and then I did the last two ascents on Saturday morning and finished before lunch. So I don't remember, is that 17, five, maybe 20, 20, 22 hours, something like that? Pretty solid. Pretty solid. How are you feeling? Are you tired at all? You sore? I'm feeling a little ago. tired. You finished today's, but, um, today's but, um, Tuesday and you finished on Saturday. On Saturday. And then the travel back is just long, you know. So the legs are, you know, recovering and I'll get back to it and find my next adventure. Yeah, you want to start? Our, right, our yeah, guest wants to, to jump in. When we were in Whistler, they, the yeah. gondola also went up. So I guess they it changed. Did, it did go up. <laughs> and yeah, so spectators, uh, if they want, can go to the top so of the, the mountain. Is, and yeah. yeah, he pays for this abuse. So wow. very yeah, impressive. Just yeah. yet another example of how my partner is just a badass. But we're here today to. I, I can't. I can't agree more. <laughs> we, we're here to welcome a very nice, very special guest. Yeah, change that nice. Yeah, I said nice, we'll, but we'll, I don't. Yeah, we'll nice. Say that we'll leave that for the end. Like, I feel like we could do better. Yeah, he's, he's special. Now, now, me being here though, you're officially out of guests. You're not. You're basically <laughs> telling the audience that's right. It. This might be our final episode, All right. if it even airs. Um, you know, you're not supposed to speak until right. I'm not speaking. You, so, speak uh, until so spoken to. I won't say that's a word. Right. Our guest today, if you don't recognize the voice, is Stephen Klitzner. Steve is a Miami attorney who has practices exclusively in the area of IRS problem resolution. So he is a tax attorney, but not just any tax attorney. In 2021, Steve was appointed to a three-year term with the IRS's Service Advisory Council. It's the Internal Revenue Service Advisory Council. So I guess it's the IRS's Advisory Council. Correct. How many more ways can we the say that? The URSAC, can we call it URSAC? Yes. <laughs> no. URSAC presents no, we should an not. annual report of recommendations to the commissioner of the IRS, and it proposes enhancement to IRS operations and recommends administrative and policy changes to improve taxpayer service, compliance, and tax administration. He serves as the chair of the Small Business Self-Employed subgroup. He's also a charter member of the American Society of tax problem solvers. He's a member of its continuing professional education committee and a recipient of the organization's top practitioner award. He's a member of the advisory board and a consulting member of the Tax Freedom Institute, an association of tax professionals in the defense of taxpayer rights. And he frequently lectures around the country teaching attorneys, CPAs, and even enrolled IRS agents 
in the areas of collections, audits, and appeals. So this is a tax wow. attorney who sometimes teaches the IRS how to do their job. So welcome, Steve. Well, thanks. Boy, Chat GPT really can do a good job on anybody. Yeah, huh? yeah. Yeah, it's great to be here. I listen to you guys. and You listen to us on the I, podcast? Or I've, you just li- I've listened to the podcast. Yeah. You guys are entertaining and funny, and you have great dynamics together. Those stories you tell about your days on Saturday Night Live, priceless. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong podcast. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, that's good. Right. I like that. That's, that is good. Steve, so tell us, how'd you become a tax attorney? First, how'd you become an attorney? I know, <laughs> I you, know, know. you went to law school, but was that always uh, part of your journey? No, you know what? When I was a junior in college, Where'd you go to school? way back, UM, University yep. of Miami, I was just getting along. I didn't care about my grades. I didn't know. I was actually wanted to be a sportscaster because I was the sports director of WVUM, and I would do baseball games and football games oh, on cool. the radio. And this was a time ESPN was starting, so it was kind of a good time to get into the business. But I had met my future wife, and I really didn't want to go around the country working at little TV and radio stations. So one day in my junior year, I just decided I am going to become a lawyer, which meant I had to get my grades up. So from that moment on, I got all A's. I was able to get my grades up to the point where, incredibly, the University of Miami let me in. So you were going to be a sportscaster, and then you just yeah. decided, oh, instead I'll be a lawyer? Like, were there other yeah. options, or you just... Um, that was no, it. that was, that was about it. Or, I was, or I could just stay in school forever, I guess. But I just decided I wasn't going to do the sportscasting thing. I wasn't right. going to go around the country right, right. Or like gotcha. some other guys I know and work at these little stations, and yeah. I was going to stay here, so... I just decided I might as well go to law school. That'll kill another three years. Okay, so it was a delay tactic. Yeah, yeah. Got Excellent. It. And then at some point, well, when you graduated law school, did you immediately go into the tax practice or did you do something else? No, no. I ran into somebody at the courthouse. I was in law school and it was a friend of mine. I said, I'm looking for a job. He goes, well, what kind of law do you want to do? And I remember saying, I heard personal injury work is easy. And just then a guy comes by, grabs him, introduces me. And that's where I worked for the next 14 years doing personal injury work. So you wow. said personal injury and a lawyer was walking by <laughs> yeah. and wow. hired yeah. you from that. Well, no, I had to go in for the interview. Right, but it yeah. ended up hiring you from yep. that interaction. Yeah, and he said three things to me at the interview. I was going in for a law clerk right then. I was still in school. And I remember he said three things to me that stuck with me. First, he said, I don't know why, but I'm hiring you. And that, for the next 14 years, always resonated with me. It wasn't necessarily a positive thing. And then he said, I like that you said, when I said about pay, you said $10 an hour. I'll give you four. And I thought to myself, oh, I was offering them $10 an hour. So I thought, (laughs) they're paying me. This is even better. And then he said something else. He said, every day we wear a suit. We don't necessarily wear the jacket. We have the jacket. We wear a tie every day. And he said, can you start tomorrow? And the next day was a Saturday. So I said, sure. I come in. I'm wearing my three-piece suit. I only had two suits. I was wearing my other suit. And they were wearing jeans and shorts and T-shirts. I said, no, you idiot. On the weekdays. So from that point, even when I left the firm, I never went to my office without a tie until the pandemic. And now it's still weird for me when I go in. I usually work out of the house. My staff goes in. But even today, I'm not wearing a tie. And it's strange for me during a workday not wearing a tie. But I do like it a lot. So this casual look is for us. 
That's the best. Well, no, now I'm doing it. I'm actually okay. going the lawyer things and I'm having lunch without <laughs> right. wearing a tie okay. since and COVID. Because if it hadn't been for that, I never would have gotten out of that. How do you feel? You said a little awkward. How do you feel? You feel it, a little bit more comfortable? Yeah. 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 I like this better. Yeah. Now, you guys are wearing jeans and I could have gone that Wait, route. you just gave away and then, But you're wearing it with the tux. And I might have done That's that. Right. It That's would have been still a little tough for me, but right. I never know. Jeff's always like sporty. You never know when he's wearing a cool jacket and like but a dark he is, shirt. So. He is always wearing cool stuff. But anyway, so that's that. my story. I'm sticking to it. And that's where I ended up. So all, I decided it was a lot in there. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's a good story. I, I like the idea that so he told you at the beginning of the interview that you were getting the job basically, right? He said, I'm going to hire you. No, is that no, right no. or no? It was at the end. He said, I don't oh. know why, but I'm going to hire you. At the oh, end, okay. after I did all my, <laughs> after I did all the best of the things I could I do. I don't know why, but I I'm don't know why. You. But you fantastic. said that always stuck that with always you. That always stuck with me, what, not what necessarily in a positive way. It's like, oh, the, I don't know <laughs> yeah. why part. Yeah. So yeah. for the next 14 years, in the back of my head, it's like, well, why do they don't even want me here? Okay. So, so you start out as a personal injury attorney. And then you become a tax attorney. That's not a natural progression, is it? How, well, I thought how, it how'd was. you make that change? You tell us. Well, I answered an ad. You answered an ad. What? Well, yeah. Elaborate, please. Oh, okay. Thank you for <laughs> that. See, I wanted to do that back and forth yeah, thing uh, where you asked me to elaborate. say more. Okay. So what happened was, I'm doing personal injury work. I'm on my own, and I'm doing quite well for myself. It's not one of those things where I was struggling and. And things were horrible. My overhead was really low. You're with this firm? No, I left. Oh, you left and started They changed own. the deal on me, and I finally got the guts not to think too hard and say, why would I leave? But this is still great. And I said, I'm out of here, and I left. So okay, we're going so to put a pin in that. All right. Yeah. And we'll come back to that okay. decision okay. And, and some facts around okay, that. Let's good. keep going. So I'm doing PI, and I'm doing the favorite part of my day. I'm reading junk mail. <laughs> so when you do personal injury, you know, you see the lawyer, you get the letters, you get these bad motions. You don't want to read those and discovery. And sometimes you get a letter from an insurance company. has got a number. You just go to the end to see if they're offering you any money. But junk mail really was the best. And I got this letter from a CPA in Colorado to lawyers, and it said, do you want to work less, make more, have your clients be happy with you, less pressure, phone rings off the hook, everything a lawyer would do. So I said, I'm in. <laughs> and I called and I said, what is this? He says, it's representing people against the IRS. And something happened then. I don't know what it was. And I just decided to do it. You know, sometimes you make some big decisions in your life. And looking back, it's like, why would I do that? But for something told me to do it, I even called my brother, mm -hmm. who's a personal injury lawyer in Fort Lauderdale. I said, Jay, I'm going to start representing people against the IRS. And he said, do you even know what IRS stands for? <laughs> uh, International Resource Society. I don't know, but I've decided to do this. So I decided this is in 2001. And how long had you been practicing yeah. at that point? I had been practicing uh, 22 years. Wow. 22 so years. 22 wow. years yeah. into a career, you yeah. make a complete seismic shift based on junk mail. Yeah, uh, effectively, but it was and a phone really call. Written well, but it sounds like <laughs> it was yeah, really yeah, written yeah, well. yeah. So I decided to do this, and at that point, this is in two thousand one. I plunked down like I think it was about sixty five hundred dollars, non refundable. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to pay that much money, I'm going to make gonna sure do I do it, not just put it on the desk. And I decided if I'm going to do this, I'm going all in. I went to every seminar. I read everything they gave us, everything they told us about accountability and this plan and that plan. And you should do this. I did everything they said. And I just decided, 
as I said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. And slowly, I got rid of the personal injury work. It was a little like my lobby at my office. It was like those episodes of My Three Sons when Robbie had two dates to the prom. You have to go back and forth. All right. All right. A little before your time. Yeah. So I would have to change my waiting room depending on who was coming. A personal injury client comes in, that'd be a personal injury. The tax clients come in, I change everything to the tax materials. <laughs> and if the two of them at the same time at the office, I go back and forth, have to remember which. But slowly and surely, I got rid of the personal injury. And I just did the IRS stuff. Just representing so you, people with IRS problems. So you learned enough to, one, start practicing right away, but then, two, start transitioning out of yeah. personal injury. Yeah, and it was hard in the beginning. People would come in, and they'd talk about their tax case. And I'm back to being like a young lawyer where everything's, um, I, um, I, they knew more about tax stuff than I right. did. I'd have to excuse myself and go read the material in the back and then come back in. Right. And they would ask me, because people can sense things. Have you done this before? Yeah, they say, how long have you been doing this? Right. Well, I've been a lawyer 22 years. And no, this particularly, you know, what time I is think it? it's going to rain. <laughs> what time is it? It's going to rain. Right. We got to get cooking here. You're, right. It's going to be a downpour. And people could kind of sense it. But I just decided to just go all in. And when I was doing, I'd go to every seminar. And after a while, the people that I'd go to the seminars for were like, listen, we can't just keep taking your money. Maybe you should just speak. Maybe we should pay you. You go up there and start talking. So for the last, I guess, about 15, 16 years, I don't go to seminars. I teach at them. And that's that's a lot of fun. Really amazing. Amazing. So, what did we hang a lantern on again? We were going to come back to hang something. a lantern. I said, put, put a, put a pin. pin. What did we put a hint pin in? Put a pin in the decision to leave the firm you were at and open your own firm based yeah. on you know the change in the deal, or whatever. I mean, what did that tell us about that sort of decision process well, for you? How far were you in at that point? Well, I'd been there fourteen years, yeah. and every time they did something I didn't like, my name was on the door, but I wasn't really a partner. But they did that really for them. Mm -hmm. And every time something happened at the office I didn't like, it would be like I'd knock down, I'd get up, I'd brush myself off. I was like, thank you, sir. Can I have another? You know, and it's like, okay, I still got a good deal. I'm staying. And I found out that they were going to change my deal. See, here at this old law firm, and I'm going down a little rabbit hole here. That's all right. But back then, the secretaries called the bosses Mr. And everything was very formal. Mm. And they always had secrets in the office, which there were no secrets because the bosses, secretaries would tell everyone. So when they'd call us in to tell us a secret, everyone would go, oh, and then everyone would leave and go, yeah, we knew that. Right. So I said, if I ever went out on my own, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have an office where there's no secrets. We talk to people. It's on a first name basis. It's not formal. And that's what I did. And I always felt good about that, that I didn't have that old stuffiness with that. You know, they used to pit the lawyers against each other. It was horrible. I didn't realize it was horrible until I left. So I found out that they were changing the deal through my secretary, found out from their secretaries. It's like high school. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was the worst. It was the worst. Yeah. I always remember what, trying to get a raise. Now, the senior partner could make decisions Million-dollar decisions like this. When I asked them for a raise of a few thousand, well, I got to sit down. We got to talk about it. We got to have a meeting. And I'd go to the meeting, and one would be in front of me and the other behind me. And it was just so bizarre and so horrible. But that was the life I chose. But anyway, so they changed the deal because I had made too much money that year. So they decided to change the deal of how much money we were getting on cases we brought in. And instead of my usual, okay, that's horrible. I still have it great. It's like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm out of here. And I made the decision and never looked back. I 
went out on my own with someone else in the firm, the other junior partner. And after three days, his nerves were getting to him and he went back. It actually was better for me because all of a sudden I could just make all the decisions and it was, things became clear. So Mm. I set up shop. I moved from Coconut Grove near where I live in the Aventure area and I shared space. I kept my expenses down and I just started doing it on my own and I survived, even though they thought no one ever leaving that firm could survive. I did. Nice. Congratulations. That was it. Yeah. I have a question. So you mentioned how you kept getting knocked down and then you dust yourself off. So without getting into the specifics of what those knockdowns were, when you felt that way, did you communicate that with the managing partners? Did you go to them and say, hey, this issue, this isn't right. I don't feel like this was fair or or whatever it was. Sometimes a little, but it didn't matter. When they made their minds up, something happened once where I was getting a certain percentage on cases given to me by one partner. But when the other partner found out, and this was a couple of years later, he cut it back. And I was there when he asked the other guy, did you know they were getting this money? This is how the associates were getting money? He goes, no. It's like, yeah. Come so on. The, your compensation structure was not approved by everybody. So. Yeah, well, it was, and, but it wasn't. And of course, all of a sudden it was a no and it was a yes. Right. So it was difficult to communicate. And, you know, back then you're afraid. And I think I was always afraid I'd get fired, but always hoping I'd get fired deep right. down. It would have right. made things easier, but yeah. I, couldn't, I just couldn't screw up enough. Right. I tried. <laughs> I just couldn't be bad. Right. Now, I ask that because I think sometimes employees that have an issue, don't voice the concern. You know, they just leave rather than voicing the concern. So I was curious if you felt unheard. One year they changed the medical on us. So we went from a nice plan to like a HMO where you had to go to somebody that they didn't have to have doctor in front of their name. It was the worst plan in the world. So I voiced my concern and the partner says, well, you know, we all have to have the same coverage and I'm upgrading mine and it's harder for me because I'm in a higher tax bracket. So I have to make more money in order to pay the premium. And I said, yeah, I, 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 that makes a lot of sense to me. It just, that's how bizarre it was. I just, right. uh, you know, just gotcha. whatever. Gotcha. It was a different time. You guys, people it was the olden days. you and you, you talk to your people, you explain yeah. things to them. Yeah. Back then it wasn't like that. Right. Gotcha. All right. So let's talk about the tax practice. What does that mean? You're a tax attorney. You, you represent individuals and businesses in disputes with the IRS. Tell us like, what does that mean? And that's all I do. I don't do any of the tax planning. That's bad for my business. I don't do the foreign stuff. When someone comes to me and says, should I be an LLC or an S-corp? Should I do this for tax reasons? The answer basically is, I can't tell you how to stay out of tax problems. If you get into one, I'll get you out. But that's not what I do. I don't do that planning. So from a tax lawyer standpoint, it's different what I do. Is it that you can't or that you won't? It's that I don't need to, and I don't want to. <laughs> I don't okay. know the answers. Right. I don't know. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. isn't it like transactional work for us, right? right. Like we can pick an agreement apart and litigate over it. Right. We just don't put the deals together. Right. right? It's yeah. very yeah, similar. But we can Same review thing. an agreement right. and say, here's a good way to avoid a problem in the future. Right. So you could do that. You just choose not yeah. to. Well, it's I, not I, your I, practice area. Well, I'm not comfortable enough with it. I'd right. rather send okay. them to a guy that does tax planning yeah. or right. a CPA can right. very often answer the okay. question. And is it okay. any issue with the IRS, meaning it, it can be income tax, property tax, sales tax, whatever. It doesn't matter. Well, there's no property tax and sales tax is well, right, Florida. Not property tax I don't, and I don't do the Florida stuff. But, 
I can't deal with Florida because they don't have any rules. They just make it's like the old West. They make it up at the way. Anything they with go. the federal government, the IRS, IRS, federal government. You owe money, you get audited, you don't file right. returns. Mm-hmm. Those are good cases for me, and that's what I do. And there's luckily here in Florida, mm-hmm. we're as as big as anywhere in the country when it comes to people with IRS problems. Why is that a practice area that is susceptible to that advertising campaign? Like, why can you just learn that practice? What was it? Make more money work and less. work less? Why does it qualify for this? <laughs> well, you know, he was kind of right. The phone right. does ring off the hook. And my clients, unlike personal injury, are happy at the end. In personal right. injury, it's always like $100,000. I wanted to net that. Right. You're only getting me ten grand total? And it's right. like, your right. case isn't worth anything. So people, it was hard to keep people happy. And you had to deal with lawyers. Now I deal with lawyers. I represent them. They listen to me. Right. Judges. Everybody has Insurance companies. I mean, no, yeah. But I mean, back then I'd have to deal and everything was adversarial. With the IRS, it's not as adversarial as you'd think. Mm -hmm. Because in the real world, if you can't come to a resolution with the other side, you go to a judge and jury. With the IRS, if I can't come to a resolution, they're the judge and jury. Mm -hmm. I've got to figure out how to make a deal and hold them to the law so that they do what they need to do. And then my clients got to be realistic too. They have to understand that if you make $150,000 and you're a single guy, I can't convince the IRS you have $500 a month left over to pay them. It's just, I can't do that. So everybody's got to be reasonable, and then we make a deal. Some people settle for a lot less. Other people, because they have money, they pay everything. So everything's a little bit different. But it's just a different practice. (laughs) Feel like you're really helping people, unlike personal injury. Right, right. I guess the other thing is if people owe taxes, that means they made money, right? I mean, generally, your clients are making money, so they're enough that they owe taxes. Yeah, sometimes it's kind of a phantom-type income, or for whatever reason, they didn't really make it. But for the most part, they owe the money, and they need to be somewhat accountable. You know, I understand the reasons, but they've got to do, look, I owe it, let's move on from here, and then I can help them. Got it. And I guess the other other, um, feature that I like about your practice is the same adversary every time. So it might be a different person, but you have the same adversary every time. It's the IRS. Yeah, and it's the same boss. I mean, the higher up I go, everyone's got the same boss at the top if I have to elevate it. Right. So that does make it good. So you have a sense of, not only do you have a sense of the law and the guidelines, but you have a sense of how the person on the other side is going to be looking at the dispute. You have to understand how the other side thinks. Right. And you have to understand why they think things. And you can't just discount things and say, well, that's ridiculous until you understand where they're coming from, and then you can attack that. Yeah, And it's been good. I've been really good at being very nice, not getting mad, not getting upset. Does not the answer. I just try to get along as best I can. Sometimes I have to bite my lip. It's like bloody at the end of a conversation. But for the most part, I've got to find a way to get along with them. Right. Well, I like how you said it's not as adversarial as one might think, right? And typically, if you're in a tax situation, the IRS is coming after you for taxes that are owed, some people just think, oh my God, they're attacking me. They're going, oh, it's going to be adversarial. But it seems like you, obviously, over the number of years you've been doing this, you have the credibility of those on the other side, the IRS, to go in and say, okay, 
here's what we're going to present to you. Here are the issues. Here's where I think my clients are right and where they're going to pay. Right? I mean, there has to be some give and take there. Yeah, and you know, if we have somebody new, and most of the new people I know, because when they've hired new people, they bring me downtown to kind of train them for like an hour and tell them things from our standpoint. But when I'm dealing with someone that doesn't know me at the IRS, I disarm them right away. I'll say, for instance, if it's a collection case, I'll say, okay, look, and he's got to file these returns. There's nothing we can do if he doesn't get these returns filed. We got to get up to date. I'll get you the financials. I'm going to get you this. I'm going to get you that. And then we'll figure out a way to get this resolved. And when they know you're on board and you know what needs to be done, then they can sit back and go bother somebody else. They can be bullies. And if somebody pushes back a little bit or shows them they know what they're doing, they just pick on somebody else. They never run out of clients. They have like the best business in the world. (laughs) They don't get enough money from one guy. They got another guy standing by. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Because to me, what you're doing, you said you disarm them, but really what you're doing is identifying common ground. Yeah. Like, I know that this is what you need and I'm going to work to get you that. Because I imagine that they know that in cases where you're not on the other side, it's difficult. It's the same reason why we like to have sophisticated counsel on the other side who understands, especially in like the bankruptcy practice, which is a smaller community. To have someone who knows the law on the other side is actually helpful to us because we both know where it ends up most likely within some parameters. Yeah, there's no question. You don't want to deal with somebody dumb that doesn't know what they're doing, that can't make decisions. You want somebody that's seasoned and know what they want to do. Then you can cut to the chase and resolve it because they know what needs to be done. Are you getting involved in any of the PPP or ERC issues? Yeah, and the ERC now is a big thing with the audits because now you have these companies. The IRS is on to it. They've stopped processing it. Yeah, just the article just came out that they froze the program. Can you say what those things are for anyone that doesn't know? Yeah, the earned retention credit. What happened is people go to their CPAs. Businesses go to their CPAs. Their CPAs look at it, and sometimes they're wrong, but often they'll say, look, you don't really qualify. So now you see companies advertising on TV. You have Ty Burrell from Modern Family on there going, if someone turned you down and said you can't do ERC, call us. Well, first of all, I would have gotten Ed O'Neill or Sophia <laughs> Bogars. Right? He's all right, but he's not the best there. Julie Bowen would have been terrible. But he's basically saying, if you are not qualified, we will scam and do it. So the IRS stopped. In the last several months, and this program has been going on for a few years, They've gotten, of all of the submissions they've gotten, 15% of them have come in the last few months since these companies came into existence. Mm. So basically, are they scams? Well, I don't know that they've ever said anyone doesn't qualify. Right, so they're just freezing the program right now to sort of figure out what's going on. The article I read said that they had budgeted about $85 billion for the program, for the ERC program, and they've already had like over $220 yeah. billion Whoa. requests. Wow. Yeah. Listen, if you can scam, and this is terrible for Not the that IRS. it's all a scam. Not well, that it's all no, a scam. But some of these companies some, are. Look, like the PPP, right? I mean, there are right. definitely some fraud. There's a lot of prosecutions going on. There's a lot of criminal complaints the IRS have now sent a lot of criminal complaints over to, I guess, DOJ is prosecuting it. And so, yeah. yeah. And I guess the answer is, go to a CPA and let them look at it, and they'll tell you whether they really think you can qualify. And they may be wrong. They may say you can't and you can, but Mm -hmm. you just have to be a little bit careful out there because 
What happens is these companies will get you $100,000. The IRS pays $100,000, you give them ten or 20000 And now when you get audited to see whether you're really entitled to it, these companies are gone. They're out doing some other scam work. Right. So now you're going to be out the 80000 you got, the 20000 you gave away, plus penalty and interest. It could put a business out of business if they get audited on this. So now we're seeing these audits where the IRS is taking a look at them. And we'll see how it plays out. It's still a little early. Wow. Are you defending the, on those audits? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so far, so good. You still have to have the right facts. There's going to be people, I'm sure, that come to me and it's like, right. you just, just don't qualify. Right. Well, that's like the PPP with, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, I, well, I bought a Ferrari, a mansion, right. took some vacations. Right. Was that not what I was supposed to spend the money on? <laughs> right. You know? Or was I even supposed to have a business before that? Right, right. right. But in right. large part, a successful program and its rollout. But there's always Always going to be some. Yep. There's always right. something. Always going to be scammed. something that. Agreed gets rolled out that quickly. I remember that thing every day you were learning something new about yeah. the interpretation of yeah. it yep. and how it worked, et cetera. It was crazy times for sure. Yeah, it sure uh, was. The, you know, during that. But yeah, yeah. So what about the increase in allocation of resources to the IRS? Is, is this good for business, bad for oh, business? Yeah. Oh, tell, yeah, this is us. wonderful. You know, they first got $80 billion, and they're not getting it all at once, and they're not hiring the 87,000 new people all at once, and they have to make up for people retiring, and the people they're hiring don't have guns and badges, all of them. <laughs> Very few do. People are answering the phone. They're technicians. They're computer people. They're not all collecting. They're not all auditing. And the $80 billion's been cut to 60 but the IRS is still happy about that. And they're going to try to modernize. They're going to try to do things so that you can do things with them that you could do with regular businesses. You can go online. You can do things. You can, they have barcodes you can scan. And they're really trying to step it up a bit. Right. They're actually introducing a new letter that really, I think, for the first time ever, doesn't threaten that we're going to levy you if you don't answer, and it doesn't give you a time period. It basically says, look, we know you owe the money. We're here. Scan this code, scan that. You may be able to do this. You may be able to do that. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see how many people react without being threatened. Right. Not a yeah. lot. So you support the increased resources oh, okay. to the IRS. Tell it's good for business. It's good for your business, but as a taxpayer, are you in support of it as well? <laughs> <laughs> Objection leading. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's fist. better. I mean, I, I think having an antiquated internal revenue service is not beneficial to us as a country or as taxpayers. You know, and if you're a politician, it's great when you come in and say, we're going to get rid of the IRS. Right. It's like, well, then who's going to collect? Well, we'll have an agency do that. Isn't right. that the IRS yeah, the that's going to do that? Right. Somebody's got to collect. Well, right. you just need one person, right? <laughs> yeah. One dude. That's true. You can manage the bank account, right? Yeah. That, that's it. And yeah. they can't really just start over. They can't just give everyone freedom. You know, right. you hear about the Fresh Start program on the radio ads and TV ads. But they haven't changed the Fresh Start program since 2012. It's right. been around. It's not a limited time only. But it doesn't allow you to come out of your office and say, I want a fresh start, mm -hmm. and you don't owe any money. It doesn't right. work that way. Right. But behind closed doors, I'm told that Congress doesn't have as much problems with the IRS as they do when they're being interviewed. Sure. Right. They get it. They talk to them. They know right. what they need to do. But then they get out there, and for the soundbite, it's like, we got to get rid of these people. They're the worst. 
vote for me. Right. Sure. And a lot of voters would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. get rid of the IRS. They're terrible because they collect money from me and I don't want to pay them. But they're the only agency that collects money for the government. Right. right. And for every dollar that they spend, and we always hear different numbers on this, whether yeah. it's $7, $12, $4, that's how much they get back. So why not give them more money to collect more money from people who actually owe, owe them, them money? money. Right. right. And yes, if you sir. don't like the way the tax code is written, then then Congress has to revise the tax That's code. Right. Those are two separate things. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And even when they did the thing trying to simplify things a few years ago yeah. with the returns and all— that wasn't really tax reform per se. They just really just tried the reporting, to right? make and some like things forms, a little different. Right. And they did help people out tax-wise. I mean, there was a candidate, right? Or every few years, there's always a candidate in an election that has, I'm going to do the one-page return. That's right. right? <laughs> yeah, and they tried it. They, they did tr- it for they, one year. Yeah. But because it was one page, they have all these schedules <laughs> attached to it explaining what was on the one page. It doesn't work. You can't just fill out a postcard, and all of a sudden people are like, well, I wasn't going to pay before. But if I just have to fill out this postcard and pay, I'm all in. Where do I sign up? It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Well, um, this is good. Wait, are we talking about how we met? Uh, Yeah, do you want to tell us us how we met? that. Tell us you, how we met. Because you were wrong, and I You're remember. You're telling me how this we met. part two I, of the I podcast. Remember. I, I think right. we may we may yeah. split this, these. So we might just cut it off. We might. Yeah. <laughs> It'll happen. So our good friend Dave Lorenzo introduced us. You were going out on your own. So it was what year was that? Oh eight. Oh, was it that long ago? Two thousand eight. Yeah. And I didn't realize the real reason he was introducing, not because you're doing bankruptcy and I'm doing tax work, it's because you guys are both in BNI, and then you can get your one-on-one report, and you can report your referral, <laughs> Come on. and it looked real good. He knew. I didn't know it at the time. BNI slash cult. That's right. That's yeah. right. So we that, get together. Of course, that's not why. That's exactly. Right. That was why he did it. Right. You were interested in meeting <laughs> no, people. No, because if you're in BN, if that's your purpose in BNI, you're never going to be successful. So go ahead. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's ahead. true. Because the giver's gain is really oh, a true thing. That is a true thing. The people who Here we go. I'm going to leave. I'll see you guys later. No, the people who get it yeah. really do well. When right. you go to a chapter and everyone's there telling them about them and they yeah. don't want to know anything about you, Listen, that's if a bad you, chapter. If you join a networking organization, whether it's BNI or anything else, and your purpose is only just to satisfy their criteria, you're not going to benefit. Yeah, but if like you use it as a vehicle for building relationships, yeah. then that's different. But that, that goes for anything, right? Anything right. you right. do. Exactly. I mean, if yeah. you're just pushing paper around on the desk, exactly. it's not going to And you have exactly. to do a little more than just So anyway, so, anyway, get so he sets us, us up. Yes. And you had, I think you had just gone out. You had left that big firm. You're starting your little boutique mm-hmm. firm, which, by the way, I was very surprised. Just, I know you have a boutique firm. When I came here in the lobby, I expected like a rack of women's clothes. I was oh, going to get my boutique. wife a hat. Boutique. Gotcha. boutique. But I, I, Very well done. Nothing. I Very well done. better than this. Good bridge. No, this Good is bridge. the best I got. You are better than that. <laughs> we don't, we don't have, wait, where's the sound check? <laughs> no, we're we're not, we're not I don't cutting. get where's the boutique drums? law. Yeah. <laughs> I don't okay. get the boutique law. Okay, anyway. Anyway, so we're there, and I hear your story, and yeah. it was going out on its own. I was very impressed. I remember thinking when I left, this guy's never going to make it. He's going to crash and burn. But you know what? Let me say something. I was wrong. I'm not afraid to admit it. You really became a big shot. You have a very well-respected <laughs> firm. It's people it's all in I South partnered Florida with this guy. Yeah. Well, that's a big thing. All right, but go ahead. Go but, ahead. So, but tell me about that. Do we have a minute for that? The partnership thing. I tried yeah. it for a year. It was horrible. Before we go down that path, can doing. I go back for a second? Yes. Why did you think he was going to crash? Yeah. No, what? No, what? Yeah, we'll give you that. We'll I will tell that you. Now, I was very impressed with him. <laughs> but I did sense 
Yeah. A little bit of nervousness. Sure. Was there, because you seem confident, you seem very knowledgeable, you're going out on your own, and I kind of just remember sensing a little, uh, I knew you were going to make it, but I just sensed that, I mean, this was uncharted territory for you. Yeah, sure. I mean, I've, was I nervous? Of course. I never felt like failure was even, you know, part of the calculus. I really never was afraid of failure, which is maybe that's naive of me or was naive of me, but... I was nervous. I'm nervous today. I think to me, we've heard this, the time to be nervous is when you're not nervous. You know, yeah. You're always nervous about the next steps, I think. So yeah. yes, I was nervous. But, I hope I, that I, did, I, but you're saying I came across in our lunch? No, I, no, I no. I sensed, no, no, no. I no. sensed I, you were confident. Right. I knew you knew your stuff. I knew you were going to make it. I always root for lawyers going out on their own and making, especially starting a firm and really building it up. But I did detect, I mean, you were, I could see this was uncharted territory for you completely. Sure. I mean, yeah. you were, Listen, this when, is a big step. When you grow up in big law, you never have to do so many things. It's one of the luxuries of big law. You just sit at your desk and the phone rings and there's a client on the other side, you know, and it's just, that's how it works. And at a good firm, it's, you know, you have a constant stream of clients and you don't have to worry about who's paying the bills and hiring and firing all, you know, it's just, you practice law and it's, it couldn't be, not that it's easy, but the logistics are completely out of the picture. I remember. And so I knew starting about own, expenses. All I knew right. is I got paid every week and I got more money if I brought it. Exactly. Cases. Starting my own practice, I, you know, I didn't appreciate until I was starting into it that, oh, wow, I have to do all of this. You know, there's yep. a lot, there's a lot to it that more than just practicing law or getting a client and collecting the money. I mean, that's just one little piece of it. So but what was the plan? Was the plan to be small, get big? Was there a plan in the beginning? I don't think I had a plan in terms of getting big or small. I just thought I could start my own shop and I thought I could have some fun and build something. I just didn't know what I was building. And then I met this guy and well, we had met before I started, but then we started talking and, you know, working through issues as we were, you know, we were both going along on our solo practices and started collaborating a little bit more. And then we realized, hey, together, this is, you know, we're so much better. Still risk. One and one and one is three. I had a partner for a year and it was, we had a great time. We just didn't make any money. And he's doing real estate. I was doing personal injury. It just didn't gel. We spent way too much money, but we had a great time for a year. And when we broke up, a friend of mine who has a partner, he says, see, this was your problem. You should have gone in with a partner who's your friend, like me and my close friend, and we're partners. And then two years later, they mm -hmm. had a horrible breakup. So that's the big thing. I mean, it's that partnership thing, yeah. which can be uh, that dynamic. You just don't know until you get into it. But in your case, it's worked great, right? Yeah. I mean, if you go deep enough into the practice archive, you'll hear we've had some episodes where we talk about, you know, the benefits of partnership and and the strength of, you know, what makes a good partnership. But I think it boils down to the number one factor is trust. If you have a partner, you have to just trust him, him or her. And if you don't have that, I think that's the basis for any relationship, you know, marriages, partnerships, friendships, whatever. It is. If you don't have trust, you have nothing. And so, you know, I just have complete trust in Brett and I think he has trust in me. And and if you have that comfort, it's like you can you don't have to sleep with one eye open. You're you can do this thing, build this thing, and just know somebody's got your back. It's not even that someone's got your back, it's that they're not gonna stab you in the back. You know, you're if you're always worried about a, a knife in the back, then you can't do anything full scale. 
That's great. And that's been really the secret of the success. But you kind of, you're at 14 lawyers now. Is that yeah. the plan or is it going to get bigger? We're going to keep get going, bigger? man. Well, Just our, get, our growth's been organic in yeah. large part. You know, it's never like, oh, we want to be at a certain number. It's always been, do we have a need? Are we anticipating growth? We try to think about our future, what's happening in our practice, what's on the horizon, what are our needs? And we never want to be hiring out of desperation. You don't want to hire when you, because you have, you need 12 right. people. Because that's how mistakes happen. So That's good. Yeah, yeah, you have something to be proud of. People in South Florida know the Bass Amron name. And like I told you beforehand, I'll talk to a bankruptcy lawyer. I go, you know Bass Amron? Oh, yeah, I work with them all the time. I guess it's something you might give them that's too yeah. small or, or no, they I refer mean, something to you that they can't handle. Yeah. I mean, the thing with that practice is it's, you know, it's not like a, a typical litigation case is plaintiff defendant, two parties, two lawyers. And in a chapter 11 bankruptcy, there's lawyers for the creditors, there's lawyers for a committee, someone who's buying assets, litigation targets. There's just a big case can employ tons of attorneys. So there's lots of opportunities for us to refer work. And that's why it's important to be not only competent, but likable and out there and return the favor whenever yep. you can. So no, yeah, you got it's it. been you fun. Podcast talk about. Well, listen, you guys have That's been great, great today. Idea. It's been a great yeah, show. Thanks oh. for coming, Steve. Oh. If you enjoyed this podcast as much as we did, or even if you just enjoyed it a little, leave us a five-star review. Share the show with your friends and family and colleagues because it helps other people find the show. And we will see you next time. Steve. Thanks, Steve. This was All fun. right, it was great. It was thanks, a lot Nelson. of fun. Thanks, guys. Brett. Uh, Jeffrey. Thank I love the interview at the end there. We're going to bring Steve back to co-host. Yeah, that's a good idea. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron. FastAmron.